Welcome to The Future Built Smarter, a podcast in which IMEG engineers discuss innovative and trend-setting building and infrastructure design with architects, owners, and others in the AEC industry. I'm your host, Joe Payne, and today again, I have with me Mike Lawless, IMEG's Director of Innovation. Mike, how you doing? Oh, great to be here again, Joe. I think it's a really, really interesting uh, topic today. Some great opportunities out there. Yeah, definitely. Today's topic is on the clean energy and climate provisions of the Inflation Reduction Act, or IRA. And to help us investigate this, we have with us Adam McMillan, who is IMEG's Director of Sustainability. Adam, welcome back. Yeah, thanks, Joe. Happy to be on. So the IRA includes several tax credits, rebates, low interest loans, and grants for the built environment, and uh, several technologies qualify for these incentives. Can you just give us a high level look at these provisions? Yeah, so the act, you know, is a huge, huge document, and there's a lot of stuff in there. But I think, yeah, for this focus for us and our clients, it is really looking at the renewable energy, electrification, and some other um, approaches that the act is looking to do to help incentivize these things in, in the built environment. So um, yeah, we can walk through a number of different different technologies that are eligible. I think what's interesting is historically there has been incentives for renewables, um, but they have started to fall off or sometimes they just weren't reachable for some clients or some different entities. So what the act did at a really, really high level, I guess, to start off is just really open up the door so that all people could um, take advantage of these incentives while also trying to stimulate economic activity in certain areas of the United States too. I think, Adam, another interesting part of this is, you know, on the not-for-profit side of things, you want to touch on that, that aspect of this as well? Yeah, that's always been a rub. Most of the renewable energy credits for solar or wind or geothermal, it's always been a tax credit, which is great um, for private owners, but hospitals, schools, municipalities, all these private public sector area, uh, clients or public sector entities, they don't have any tax liability, so they were not eligible to do it. So they had to do these like third party lease arrangements or lease their land for a dollar and someone else comes and puts it on, which complicates things. But one of the biggest, biggest pieces of this act is that they basically made that what they're calling a, basically a direct pay to nonprofits. So essentially it's a grant. So it'll be dollars to them. Now, um, there are some things that undefined as far as which nonprofits fit the definition. So that's still coming out. But in general, this is a huge step forward with the act for sure. Adam, in addition, you you wrote, wrote a blog recently on the subject and uh, you mentioned the nonprofits being eligible for direct pay. And there were some other key benefits uh, that you uncovered that would pretty much apply to a lot of uh, building owners, uh, correct? What were some of those? Yeah. So I think the overall charge of the act just to kind of take be really high level is it really wants to promote low carbon um, energy generation, energy storage, and electrification. Electrification being that, um, you know, to move away from fossil fuel or gas-based heating, basically, domestic hot water over to all electric heating. Because once we get our grid cleaned up, um, all electric heating is essentially no, a zero carbon at that point. So what the act did at a high level, it added several new technologies to the federal tax credit structure that were not there before. Um, the nonprofit thing we talked about. And then some of the, the uh, existing incentive levels were tearing off. Used to, they were like 30% uh, rebate or tax credit at the federal level. And it was starting to drop, drop off into the 26, 24, 22, and eventually go away. And what it did is it kind of went and 
put all those technologies right fixed at the 30% level. Now, the other thing that's different that hasn't done before is that um, for large systems, they actually changed it a bit to try to promote onshoring of some of these technologies and, and domestic manufacturing. So they actually have some provisions in there about certain percentages of the product has to be from domestic, um, like the steel, for example, needs to be made here in the United States. Then they also added prevailing wage requirements to support labor and even apprenticeship hours requirements so that we can start getting the youth and the next generation um, scaled up on these. So it was kind of a nice way to, to encourage something that's really good for our planet while also helping really promote local job growth and opportunities uh, for folks here in the U.S. Adam, when you say they added you know, new technologies or added technologies to this, they're not necessarily like new technologies that are already being used. They're technologies that are being used, but now that you're going to get a tax credit or you're going to get an incentive to use use some of those technologies. So what are, what did they add? What are those kind of those key components that they added to this, the incentive? No, that, that's a great point. Yeah, it was it was kind of targeted before, like solar and wind primary, primarily, and there were some other provisions around batteries that, um, that were cumbersome. So some of the things that are new, uh, batteries are, are fully eligible now, and uh, it doesn't necessarily have to be connected with solar PV. So batteries have a lot of benefits otherwise. So those are added. Um, fuel cells, micro turbines are in and combined heat and power. Uh, there was some language around that before, but now it's more holistically bringing those in to the fold. And the other big piece is uh, energy storage. Um, that's maybe thermal storage. Uh, there's still, that definition is not clear. That's one thing out of the act, out of several that I think our understanding is this thing was written in about a month, a month and a half. So there's still a lot of things they have to go back and define. So that's one thing I would caution anyone to know that that's expected around January of next year. So some of these things like thermal storage, for example, um, you know, we're waiting on definitions for that. But in general, there's there's a lot of base, a lot of really good things coming in with this. And I think, you know, one maybe you didn't mention it is geothermal. I think there's a lot of places where geothermal works well with, I mean, people have been doing it before that this this came out and now it's it's now eligible as well, correct? Yeah, absolutely. Both the geothermal that produces electricity, like out of deep wells, you know, a utility scale has always been in there. Ground source, ground coupled heat pumps are now fully back in um, with the credit too. Yep. Uh, have you had a lot of conversations with uh, clients who want to know how do I understand all of this? How do I figure out what's going to apply to me? Is that Has that been a barrier to, to people really understanding? Yeah, I think there's a lot of information coming out. It's coming from a lot of different ways. So this thing was written out as like a congressional language, and there's not like the here's the simple apply it this way approach yet. Several industry partners have put out some things. Like when I wrote this table that we put out there in the blog, I scanned about you know 10 or 15 different industry publications that were interpreting it, talking to solar developers and these, these companies that have a huge stake in it. Uh, their interpretations are out there too. Um, so it is, it is, you know, it's a lot of money on the table. These are, you know, three, $4 million systems, 30%. I mean, you're talking, you know, one to $2 million of your incentive. So the projects are going to wholly depend on it. So they want some certainty around there. So there is this balancing point where all the guidance isn't in there yet, but generally this is where we think it's going. So it's kind of like, let's start planning these projects right now and then get in the front of the line to try to 
get them going uh, because I, you know if this is a super successful now the next barrier will be a supply chain issue so you want to put a solar project up it's got great incentives now i can't get my panels right so um you know there's a lot of people with that are in different places on that journey but those are some of the conversations that we've had over the past couple of months yeah because i think the concern there would be that this drives demand and then you know with supply chain the way it is now you know, how, how do they keep up with, with the demand side of things yeah, and I think I was on a call today with a solar developer here um, in the Midwest, and he said there's some way that it's written that uh, the solar panels themselves have to be, uh, to get the full incentive, have to be made in the U.S. And there's only a couple of commercial level solar manufacturers in the U.S., so that's going to, that could trip it up, right? So there's things that are going to have to be rewritten if they start to see issues with supply and how quickly we can onboard and, um some of this manufacturing to the U.S. Well, it ultimately will benefit us, but it's certainly a rollout issue. Yeah, and I, I think, you know, the table, just for those listening, if you if you can, I think taking a look at this table that's part of the blog that Adam put together really does a great job of, of summarizing, you know, all the things that are, you know, some of the key things as part of this. But the other thing that, that we talked about before we got on is, you know, Adam's read all 900 pages of this uh, Inflation Reduction <laughs> Act. And Joe and I really want to know for our houses, like, what does it mean for us? And how does it, how can we do, you know, on a, a personal level, what are we going to be able to do to maybe help our energy bills and, you know, help the environment? Yeah. So as soon as it came out too, and I was reading it all, I sketched down a couple of things for my own, my own, I got to replace my furnace air conditioner in the future. And, you know, one example is there's a 50% credit tax credit toward um, a heat pump unit for your house. So you could put a heat pump unit in and, with the 50%, it might actually be cheaper than a furnace and it's, you know, moving you towards this electrified future. So, so it's kind of a, you know, it's interesting if you read the act residentially, it's kind of, this is actually a suite of packages that's going to take your house from where it is now to a green zero energy, all electrified home. So the heat pump that I had mentioned is in there. There's a 30% incentive for your solar that goes on your roof that would go in there. If you get your house Energy Star or DOE Zero Energy ready, there's incentives, uh, $2,500 or $5,000 per home for doing that. If you want to move to an electric cooktop and electrify that, there's incentives for there. Even they'll even cover in the act the, the cost of wiring, the electric wiring cost from the contractor to put this stuff in is also eligible for dollars as part of the act as well. So um, a lot of the things that have been barriers in the past are starting to be um, promoted residentially too. Well, I'm kind of bummed out because I just got a new gas furnace a year ago and I've already got an electric cooktop. So I don't know. Look, keep looking in there for me, Adam, will you? Well, you might want to, yeah, check out page 793A that might allow you to post, post actively uh, get your rebate that way, Joe. Are you, are you kidding me? Or can I really do that? Yeah, no. <laughs> Man, you're toying with me. All right. Uh, so, Adam, you mentioned uh, that uh, we'll be getting some more guidance uh, in January sometime uh, that will that's supposedly going to be in a much more easily digestible, understood language, right? No, not oh. at all. It'll just be more difficult. <laughs> <laughs> just make oh. it longer. Um, I, yeah, and I think and this is where my knowledge falls off a certain extent because I don't understand all the legislative, legislative processes. But what I've heard is anywhere from there'll be, you know, amendments to the language to clean up the things that are unclear all the way to, well, some of this is still going to be debated congressionally. 
around some of these um, items. So the final versions of all this may even still need some political influence. I, I, I've heard I've heard both in the spectrum. So basically, um, sorry, I don't I don't have the silver bullet answer, but everyone is saying we should know a whole lot more by January. Um, so that's kind of our guidance is, hey, this is where we think it's at. You can do your planning and don't pull the trigger till we get this and then uh, we'll go forward from there. Well, well, Adam, I do have an old air conditioner and I haven't replaced it's like 15 plus years old. So I'm glad to know that I've got some incentive potential as we, as we move forward and appreciate you sharing, you know, 900 pages worth of information and, you know, a little bit under 15 minutes here. Yeah, no problem. Listeners who'd like to learn more about today's topic can read Adam's blog on the IMEG website, imegcorp.com. That's I-M-E-G-C-O-R-P.com. Just click on the Insights tab and go to our blog. There you'll find Adam's IRA article and a link to the chart that he created on the provisions. We'll be back soon with another episode of The Future Built Smarter. Until then, thanks for listening and take care.